All right, if you would be turning in your Bibles to Malachi chapter 4, we'll be in verses 4 through 6 this morning as we conclude our journey through uh, the prophet Malachi's writings. Again, I just want to remind us of a few things uh, that hopefully we'll, we'll hold on to along the way. One thing I hope you've noticed is that uh, Malachi is quoted extensively in the New Testament. Um, and I've, I, it's often been said, you're going to have a real hard time understanding what the New Testament is saying at all if you don't have some knowledge of the Old Testament. Uh, and it's a really good argument to be made for understanding the first five books of the Bible. Notice I didn't say memorize, but, but having an understanding of, but also the rest of it as well. And Malachi is one of those books that is just, it's amazing how much it's actually quoted. So it's been, hopefully it's been good for us, especially as we'll transition into First and Second Peter in a couple of weeks. There is a lot of parallels in the content um, because God's message is essentially the same. Uh, said a bunch of different kind of ways because we struggle to hear it the first 150,000 times we hear it. And so, uh, so he's, he really doesn't have a bunch of new things to say or a bunch of variants. It really is, as Josh said and we've said here before, it really is a love letter to us explaining as clearly as possible that God loves us and uh, that we live uh, and are able to, to cultivate and flourish when we live out of an understanding of that love for us and in response to it. So obedience is not to gain God's love, which is why we sang the song, The Reckless Love of God. Um, and, and we don't gain it, but we cultivate it from our side because it is hard to understand. For those of you who've been married for any length of time, you kind of understand this. I can say as we're coming up on 19 years, right? Yep, 19 years, but who's counting? Uh, and and I, I understand Susan's love for me better now than when we started, and I love her more out of that understanding more now than when we started. And the exciting thing for me is I expect that to grow, actually. I don't expect it to wane. Um, and, and, and I'm excited about what the Lord will do if he, in his grace, grants us uh, more years after today. And so, in the same way, God's love for us is not something that you can plumb the depths of. You cannot find its width. You cannot find its height. And so, therefore, it's why we're going to spend an eternity celebrating it, experiencing it, and working out of it right? So, so what we're doing between the now and the not yet is actually preparing for that reality. And so that is uh, what I hope that you, that you are gaining from the things that we're going through. And as we've talked about the love of God. And so the, the question that I have for you straight away is what most helps you know your worth in this world? Is it, is it your job? Because if it is, let me ask you, for those of you who've been around a little bit, do jobs change? Do they come and they go? Does new management come in and change everything? I remember when I was a physical therapist, the first job that I took out of school was with a particular company. And uh, everybody quit within my first year, and I was Army volunteered automatically into the position of leadership, to which they handed me these five really large binders and said, okay, figure it out, which is I don't know if you know that's bad business. Uh, and so I went to Susan, who actually was in administration. She was not responsible for any of that stuff. And I said, all right, Susan, what are the two most important numbers I need to make grow? Which one do I make grow and which one do I make go down? And how do I do it? And she told me. 
And I'm, now this isn't fuzzy math. We weren't doing anything illegal here. But I figured those two things out, the things that mattered the most and did them for a while. And, uh, and there came a time where the ethics of the company were not matching the, my, my personal ethics as a, as a Christian and believer. And so uh, I, I quit. But then they dangled a carrot and said, we'll make you a, a, a district manager over many clinics. You can expand your brand uh, and your fame. And so I was like, oh, maybe I can. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Uh, and, uh, but the Lord was, was very strong in, 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 its, in, in the Spirit's impression upon me to leave that job. Well, interestingly, a month after I left, they got bought out by a nationwide company that was under investigation for Medicare fraud. And guess who they fired first? All of the general managers, of which I would have been one. So things change don't they? And if we are going to put our stock in our profession fully, that's not to say your job doesn't matter, by the way. It does. And it can have an extreme impact on you day in and day out. But it cannot be the thing that gives you your worth. All right, parents, those lovely children that you have, those covenant kids who are not vipers and diapers, haven't they just made you feel like, well, I don't know what they make us feel like sometimes, but the truth of the matter is, if we're going to hang our worth on our children, can they bear that crown of thorns? Can they satisfy your insatiable ego that wakes up new every morning unsatisfied? They can't do it. It's just not possible. How about spouses, a significant other? Can can they bear the burden of our insatiable need? Can they read minds in the dark? Can they give us everything we need, which is why we need community broader than just our significant others? How about, how about just anything else? Charity work, um, service, any of these kinds of things, even church in its barest form. Anybody been let down by a church anytime? And, and just so you know, we, we admit straight away, if you ever do our membership process, the first thing you're going to read is a quote by Steve Brown says this, we are going to hurt you. But if you'll stick around and you'll heal and live through it, we'll be the best family you've ever had in your life. But what do you say first? We will hurt you. Because we're imperfect. We're trying to figure some things out. Sometimes we sound more like administrators than family members. Sometimes we sound like we're angry and displeased when we're not really. We're just tired and weary. Sometimes we sound pleased and we're not. We just don't want to fight. And so the fact of the matter is there is nothing in this world that can satisfy and and continue to grant you worth on any sort of scale with the exception of one thing. What is it? The love of God. It is the only thing that places a worth on you that doesn't vacillate. It places a worth on you that is eternal. It places a worth on you that nothing in this world and in the world, nothing can separate you from. It's the only thing. Because we undergo even in the best of circumstances, we vary, right? I've been reading C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters, and I know you're going to judge me for this, but I've never read it before, and I've just started. I know, I've never read Harry Potter either. 
Uh, I don't think they're on the same plane, though. Uh, but, but in Screwtape Letters, one of the things he says uh, is, he says, listen, I don't want the, them, the, the, the enemies, I don't want your patient, he refers to him as a patient, I don't want your patient to learn that there's a thing called the law of undulation. What's the law of undulation? Our lives do this, don't they? You, Josh and I ate an amount of cheese last night that no two human beings should consume in one sitting. It just it shouldn't be done under the best of circumstances, but we couldn't stop. We didn't stop until it was almost all gone. And we only left a little bit because we thought it would be gluttony to just keep full in full. Uh, <laughs> law of undulation. I didn't feel so hot uh, myself last night, but, but that was just from eating a, an enormous amount of cheese. Does that mean that God doesn't love me anymore? Because I couldn't sleep and I had night sweats. Is that God's cruelty upon me to not allow me to eat an enormous amount of cheese and be able to sleep tight? Did he let go of the universe for a second? Did he not try to warn me? He actually did. Aileen and Susan both. And Susan said, are you? I thought you were done. I was like, me too. <laughs> the law of undulation. Some days you, you wake up and you're just on the wrong side of the world. Some days you wake up and the world's on the wrong side of you. Some days you have no idea. There's a mist that blows in and it's so thick and it's so black and you don't know what to do with it. And some days you wake up on the right side of the world and you're singing as you hop out of bed and you're irritating to everyone around you. And some days, who knows? But the law of undulation states that we, we, there's, we're up and we're down. This is why, in fact, it's interesting. One of the things that Lewis argues through Wormwood as he's talking to, Screwtape as he's talking to Wormwood, is that, listen, what you want to do is get them caught up in their feelings and don't let them reason or logic the enemy's love for them. This is why it is so incredibly dangerous for churches to manipulate and play upon your feelings. This is why you hear us say, and you need to hold us to this, and when we don't, call us to repent. I'm not interested in telling you what to think. I'm interested in teaching you how to think biblically with the banks of the river that we're going to see this morning, which is the Word of God and, and, and the love of God, or His mercy and His justice, or however you want to frame that, but, but there has to be clarity. Otherwise, I, we could just play songs and move you. And if we played long enough, sooner or later, you're going to feel something. Some of you, it would be anger. You were like, if they repeat that love of God thing one more time, I'm out of here. Um, I get it. That's why we don't, we don't want to manipulate your feelings. Now, does that mean we don't want you to feel anything? No, you, you should feel something. It's the love of God. You should have some sort of reaction within the biblical framework, right? I understand that this is, this is Presbyterian worship. <laughs> biblical worship allows you to go here, 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 right? You can raise holy hands if you so desire. I understand you don't have a crew with you, just choose where you sit well. I don't know what to tell you otherwise. But we can show something, by the way. But it should be done decently and in order, always to encourage and upbuild the church, never to tear her down.
So uh, what is it that establishes your worth and have you thought about why? And do you wrestle with it and recognize that you're going to wrestle with it? There's a reason why he had to write this multi-thousand page love letter with different kinds of, of uh, literature and different kinds of stories because you're going to need it over the various seasons of your life because of the law of undulation. Things just rise and fall. We are not stable under the best of circumstances. We're just not. Some of us are more like with, stable within a certain frame. Some of us, it's a wider frame. I get it. We're wired different, but we have to recognize this is why Jesus must come back to grant stability. We can't make it stay here. But we have to have something that we can return to again and again and again that gives us the banks of the river and reminds us of our great worth. This is the beauty of the book of Malachi. This is the beauty that it's his Last word to his people before John the Baptist comes some 400 years later. This should be ringing in their ears. And you may think, well, why didn't he send more prophets? Because he had said what was needed to be said, and he wanted them to just stay there. He wanted them to keep coming back to his love for them. That is the indicative, the foundational piece, as we've talked about. Notice, that's where he goes immediately and first. And he does so by telling it through story. He reminds them, Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. And we walk through what that means. I don't want to rehash that here this morning. For those of you who may be visiting with us and wondering, we do have, uh, I sent out uh, an excursus on that. It should be part of the devotional if you'd like to read that. But it was actually a word of encouragement. We've allowed it to wrap us around the axle and question the love of God when in essence what it is doing is saying very clearly, no, I have loved and protected you. And yes, I am just. And that's why we've been reading that 2 Peter 3. He doesn't tarry because He's, he's busy or he's absent or he's uninterested. He tarries because he longs for the family to get bigger and bigger. And when we fail to participate in that work, we are failing actually to cultivate the love of God in and of our own lives. And then he moves from there and immediately goes into worship and how worship is so defining of us. It, it, it shapes our ethic. It's it's it's. It should be that worship makes us into the kind of people who love God and love neighbor. And in fact, you should be deeply troubled when your own heart, you don't. If there's someone that you could look upon and say, I don't love them, you should get nervous. It should make you run to the throne of grace and not depart until it's been dealt with. I know that sounds extreme. But do you understand how extreme it is and how corrosive and cancerous it is to be, um, to be divided from someone and to hate them? Now, listen, Scripture covers this, by the way. You can only do your part. As much as it depends on you, sometimes there's nothing you can do. If they won't return your call, if they won't return your letters, if they don't respond, there's, there's, there's not much you can do on that side, but you must, you cannot grow weary in doing the good of prayer and making sure they know. 
That's just 2 Corinthians 2 where, where Paul says, look, I know I told you to kick them out and you should have. But don't let them ever think that you don't love them. Because you are a representative, an ambassador of reconciliation, representing the very love of God, and that is where all worth comes from. And so our worship ought to generate a certain ethic, not draw attention to ourselves, but send us out. And remember the law of undulation. Will there be dry seasons? If Scripture is true, there are going to be a lot of them sometimes. And they're going to be long sometimes. And they're going to be hard sometimes. And you will be at Psalm 88 wit's end. But remember Psalm 89. Remember Psalm 90. They keep coming. And then he moves on and says, listen, the next foundational pillar is marriage. And you cannot, this is a creation ordinance. You cannot discard or, or disregard marriage as it's uh, covenantal structure and vehicle for uh, the, the expanding of my love and grace in this world. Which is why we, we, again, if there's something wrong in your marriage, you cannot rest. You, well, that's kind of strong. You, you got to get some rest. You should fight incredibly hard. The hardest you've ever fought in your life to make that right. You should use every means of grace to see it restored. Now, I understand sometimes you get tired. This is why we also have to do this in community instead of hiding in shadow because we're concerned that somebody might not think we're perfect. Now, let me ask just real quick. This is not a rhetorical question. How many of you know somebody that's perfect? Well, that's because Walker knows me. And I can't argue with him at this point. He just don't know yet. We, and notice, that includes you. So if we can confess that we are not perfect by not raising our hands, what is it that you think the specifics are going to change? Right? What is it that you think? Why, why not get the help that you need instead of waiting until it's dang near too late or uh, until it blows apart, calling us in just to do the post-mortem. See, this is where we are either going to become family or remain a bunch of mercenaries. And if we're going to remain a bunch of mercenaries, that means we've got to turn on each other at some point. And so he goes on from that. He even says, look, how you deal with your, your material things. He gets into all the other things. So don't forget all of the imperatives that come out of the indicative. And he's circling back around to what is, for him, the greatest hope of all that will come out of the love of God, which is the coming of Christ. And so here... God evidences his redemptive love for us by providing his word and his servants to declare his love to us and reveal how we can flourish in his presence, which is in Christ alone, by faith alone, through God's grace alone. None of which you do. All of which you have to submit to. 
And so, listen to what Peter Verhoff says about this text as we step in. He says, Malachi, as such, contains the last words of an entire generation, a generation of prophets through whom he has revealed himself to his people in a unique way. With Malachi, these instruments of God's revelation concluded their task and were dismissed from office until the time of the fulfillment, not only of the law, but also of the prophets, which is Matthew 5, 17, and the advent of the great prophet, our Lord Jesus Christ. So as we step into this, pay close attention to how the law and the prophets are emphasized and what they are pointing to. If you would hear the reading of God's word this morning. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Now, before we get into the, each individual piece, I just want to take a moment and emphasize why it is important that Malachi is emphasizing the law and the prophets. Remember on the road to Emmaus, Jesus has been resurrected and the, the disciples are talking. They don't recognize him at first. And he begins to explain to them, beginning with the Old Testament, that all of the law and the prophets pointed to him. Right? Remember at the transfiguration, who was there other than Peter, Elijah, and Moses, who represent the law and the prophets, all of which point to Christ. In the end, there will be two witnesses who are slain in the streets. That will be the law and the prophets, more than likely. It doesn't say it specific, but that's a pretty good guess there. That the representatives of the law and, and, and Moses and Elijah in that case. Now, the reason that that's important is because that means that everything points to Jesus. Now, this is why this is important. Let's remember what Jesus came to do. Jesus did not come to say, Dad, I know you're mad at him. And I know you want to just give every one of them the fever and the boils and kill a whole bunch of them. I know you just want to slaughter them. But let me, let me try something. That ain't what Jesus came to do. In fact, it's almost wrong to suggest that Jesus came of his own power. No, God the Father sends the Son. Remember, Jesus submits to the will of the Father. He submits to the way in which God says, I have to show my love to this world by condescending, coming in human form and dying on a cross so that they will know how much I love them. All of the law, all of the prophets, all of the Bible points to this one reality. And when we make it about anything else, when we, we take and, and make it about something other than that reality, you are outside of the banks of the river and you are in great danger. We do this all the time. It's part of the fractioning of all the denominations. It's, they'll take a part and run with it and say, no, no, no. We should have been doing this. This displays the love of God. Power and glory. 
People falling out in the aisles. You know, that, that displays the love of God. What you do in your body. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. We say it's, it's, if we just get everything just right, how is it we're ever going to get everything just right? We who are imperfect, that doesn't display the love of God. What displays the love of God actually is his word and his word proclaimed truly so that it is clear that he loves us and that he will be just in his love. So the banks of the river for us are the word of God itself. So when something gets outside the bank of that river, which if you look at the majority of, of oddities that come in to the Christian, Christian faith, it's always something slightly outside. Do you know that there's one verse, one verse that talks about quenching the spirit? It's in 1 Thessalonians 5. It's all it says, don't quench the spirit. Do you know how many people have said that that? There are results for the quenching of the Spirit. They've applied it to things, even recently. No. No. You, you can't do that. You can't say that suffering comes because of the quenching of the Spirit. How do you explain Gethsemane? How do you explain Judas, who left probably the, the, the most perfect worship service he's ever been at in his life and kills himself? How do you explain First and Second Peter? How do you explain the book of Revelation? See, we always like to grab onto something and twist it, and it gets us in so much trouble. We would do so much better to study the word. I can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody say, I just want to figure it out for myself, which is, you're not tabula rasa. It's utterly impossible. There's no way for you to go ad fontes. You can't go back to the fount. You are influenced. And we have to use the means of grace. This is why he gives what he gives. And again, we're not here to teach you what to think, we want to teach you how to think using the scripture. Yes, you must decide. Yes, you are grown. Yes, it is your choice. But it is important that we not spill the banks of the river. And so, the first being the word, notice you may say, well, where does it say that anything about the, the law in the New Testament? Well, the law is synonymous with God's word. And notice what Paul says in Timothy uh, 2 Timothy 3, when he says to him, he says, it is fully sufficient for everything that you could possibly need and know about the love of God. That you could live, it, it's, it's everything you need to know how you should live. Notice that even Jesus says that the word is incredibly important because he is the word. The word made flesh. And when we are not deriving Jesus from the word, again, be warned, something is wrong. And then he goes on to say, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. Well, in Luke chapter one, uh, John's father, here's a prophecy that 
his son, John, is going to turn the hearts of the children back to their fathers. And this is applied, actually, to John the Baptist. Jesus applies it also to John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 11. So we know that what's being pointed forward to here is the one who will prepare the way for Christ. Now, you may say this. You may be thinking, but... Was that, were they the last prophets? I mean, doesn't, doesn't Paul say in 1 Corinthians 14 that the greatest spiritual gift of all is prophecy and that we should all prophesy? Doesn't Paul say that? Absolutely he does. Let me just take a moment to explain to you what prophecy is and what it is not. So if we were to look at the prophets, let's just take Malachi for instance. What does Malachi prophesy? God loves you. Here's how you should live in response to God's love for you. Jesus is coming. You notice that? Habakkuk. We've gone through Habakkuk. God loves you. Be patient in faith. Live this way. Jesus is coming. Isaiah. God loves you. This is how then you should live. Jesus is coming. Hosea. God loves you as if you were a prostitute who had cheated on him and he's going to chase you down because he loves you. This is how then you should live. Jesus is coming. And you may say, but that's Old Testament. I mean, we got, we got spirit, we got, you know, we got some new things. Okay. I, I, and, and listen, I wish every one of you would prophesy this. God loves you. This is how then you should live. Jesus is coming again. Do you know what that is? That's called evangelism. That's just evangelism, by the way. It's also encouragement for the upbuilding of the church. So if you want to say, uh, you need to refer to me as prophet, well, then what I better hear come out of your mouth. God loves me. How then I should live. Go ahead. Get on in. And Jesus is coming back again. Because if you don't, you are a false prophet. And you know what the end for a false prophet is? Not just in the Old Testament. But also in the New. God's justice is fairly swift on those things. Don't play. So what I want you to know is, is that Paul's right. We should desire that that everybody in this congregation would know those things, be articulate in those things, and share those things as if they had an eternity's worth to give away. Right? And, as it prepares the way, notice what it says it will do. When John the Baptist comes, and as, as we do that, then reconciliation flourishes. He, in particular, says the hearts of the children are turned back to the fathers and vice versa. That's, that's the restoration of everything that matters. But notice the warning that if that doesn't happen, if, if, if we are going to fail in our calling, if, if we are going to leave it to the rocks to cry out, just as soon it would be scorched earth because it's meaningless. 
People who are not participating in reconciliation are failing to live out their calling. It's just that simple. Now, I said it was just that simple, now didn't I? I spoke with a fairly forked tongue there. It is incredibly complex on the other side. Because how easy is reconciliation? How easy is it for us to love one another? Robbie, am I easy to love? You, you probably spend more time with me than anybody. I'll take that as a yes. I get that it is complex to enter into these places. I get that it's complex for us to be honest and, and to reveal who we really are imperfect as we all know we are. I get that it's hard to abide with someone when they don't want you near. I get it. <laughs> Trust me, I get it. But it is what we are called to do. It is what we are equipped to do. It is why we have the Holy Spirit. It is why we have the fullness of God's word. It is why we have Christ interceding for us right now. It is why Christ is coming again to make all things new. So what Malachi is doing is saying, he's saying, listen, God loves you. And there's a way in which you should live that can reflect that in such a way that it'll reflect to everyone around so the family gets bigger. And let me say this, Christ is coming. Of course, he didn't know it was Christ. And we're going to see in Peter, it was something that Malachi longed to know and look into. And he was serving us even back then. He was serving us by saying these words and pointing forward to a hope that is sure. Even the events of the last couple of weeks, if we don't have a hope that is sure, we have nothing. Which is why God says that he would strike it and make it a land of utter destruction. So, how then should we live in light of God's declared love for us? We, we should share that love we should be mindful of how we live. We should be thoughtful in pointing forward to the hope of Christ's return. This is the beauty of the table this morning. It's one of the great things about that, that we get to celebrate that this morning. Is that ta The table does all of that. The table says, I love you. And I'm going to nourish you in how you should live through the bread and the juice. And it points forward to the return of Christ that this is not the last meal. This is not the last table set. This, this is not the end. And so may we dine this morning as a family who recognizes that yes, we are riddled with imperfection. Yes, we are going to offend one another. Yes, we're going to get it wrong sometimes. But we have banks of the river. The Word of God to guide us, teach us, challenge us, convict us. And then the love of God in His justice, sure and unchanging, depthless, and nothing can separate you from it. May we be able to dwell between those banks 
in a way that says to the world, this is how we love each other. And you ought to come be part of our family. A family that's, yeah, we're going to hurt you. But if you'll hang out and you'll heal, we'll be the best family you've ever had in your life. And so as we come to the table this morning, my prayer for all of us is that our faith would be nourished in those things and that we would be nourished to do the thing that we were left between the now and the not yet to do, which is to share the love of God, which is to help people live out of that love and also to point forward to the return of Christ who will make all things new and will, the best meals ahead of us, the best is ahead of us. And may we be able to celebrate and dine this morning as people who know that as fact. If the elders who are here, I see Bill, Mark, Tim, uh, did I see one more? Did I see a Philip? Is he here? Did I imagine that? All right. Hey, Wes, can you help? Wes is a teaching elder in this presbytery, and his soul is clean. <laughs> if, just because of what Walker said. <laughs> Love that guy. He said Jesus. Well, that's fair. That's actually true. <laughs> On the night that was the last supper for Christ in his earthly form before he would be resurrected and transformed, he took bread. And to those who were sitting around the table, he said, this, this is my body and it is broken for you. And in saying that, what he was saying is all of the shame, all of the guilt, all that is going to hold you down is taken away. It is judged it is why his crucifixion inaugurates what's considered to be the last day. We're in the middle of that last day that is spanning from now till whenever Jesus returns. Judgment has fallen for you, the believer. You may say, yeah, but isn't there like a second judgment of some kind, some beam of seed or something like that? Yes, your works, your works will be judged. 1 Corinthians 3, they will be tested by fire. That which is, is the same elements that showed up in creation and show up in the new heavens, new earth, in the, the, the new temple that will come down, the new city that will come down, they'll make it. The haywood and the stubble, got to go. You'll survive the fire. That's the judging of works, not you the person. You have been judged at the cross for those who know Christ as Savior. So when you receive the bread this morning, give thanks. The judgment has fallen. Give thanks that God's love has been so declared in breaking Christ and not you. Give thanks that that breaking is not yours to ever endure. You couldn't survive it anyway. Give thanks for God's expressed love and all of the means of grace. And pray that it would nourish you to walk in newness of life as we'll hear from in the cup. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the broken bread. <clears throat> thank you that we don't have to bear the weight of the curse. Thank you that we are not judged, that Christ is judged in our stead and his righteousness applied to us. Thank you that your love was so beautifully and difficultly and heavily displayed on that day. And it continues to be displayed to us in and through your word and the declaration of your love for us. May we be nourished in Christ's name, amen.
Let's take and eat together as family. On the same night, Christ raised the cup. He says, this, this is the cup of the new covenant, my blood poured out for you. What's beautiful about it being the cup of the new covenant is that we are now able to do what we were previously unable to do apart from the atoning and redeeming work of Christ. You now can, in Christ, walk in newness of life, being actually pleasing to the Lord. Not, the law of undulation does not apply to his love, by the way. But what it will do is help you go deeper and wider into that just never-ending ocean of God's love for you. And so as you receive the cup this morning, take and give thanks for just how profound God's love is for you and how it transforms you to walk in newness of life, to be able to do things that are meaningful, declare the love of God, help people how then they should live, and declare the return of Christ until he comes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this cup. Thank you for its contents. Thank you for its meaning, what it signifies, and it seals in us. Thank you for all of the means of grace that help us walk in newness of life. May we encourage each other and challenge each other, uh, not as mercenaries, but as brothers and sisters in Christ. In Christ's name, amen.